These are your week 15 instant reactions. What a weekend. I mean, just madness to end a lot of these games. Some huge second half comebacks. As you know, throughout the show, we'll go team by team. We'll go player by player. We'll go performance by performance to give you the latest and what you might have missed from watching an awesome ultimate week 15 Hayden Winks John Daigle from 444 and Bet joins me as always and here we go we'll kick it off with the Cowboys and the Jaguars a huge lead for Dak Prescott's Dallas Cowboys heading into the fourth quarter but no Trevor Lawrence four touchdowns on the day wins this game 40 to 34 improving to six and eight and John Daigle winning three of their last four against the Baltimore Ravens, the Tennessee Titans, the Dallas Cowboys, three playoff teams, and Trevor stepping up. And it didn't look like it was going to be that way if you simply watched this first half in your Dick Tracy jacket. But at the end of the day, the Jaguars ended up with 500 yards of offense. And again, it's the Cowboys who came out firing. Even go back to the first half where Dak is hitting on all cylinders, fires a dime touchdown on a wheel route to Peyton Hendershot. Peyton Hendershot and Jake Ferguson, by the way, who are definitely going to keep Dalton Schultz from getting another contract from the Cowboys this offseason. Just two massive hits in the draft class for Dallas. But either way, nothing goes right for the Jaguars in the first half. Christian Kirk, even a big drop on 39, that would have resulted in a long touchdown in man coverage had he just caught it when the Jaguars are down 21-7. And then the first half comes to an end, and you look up, and Trevor Lawrence had been averaging in those first two quarters just 2.2 air yards on his completions. Uh, 0 for 4 on tosses 10 yards downfield as well. A miserable first half of offense, and you just start questioning if this team is explosive enough. We know the past month, since week 9, Lawrence is leading the league and getting the rid of the ball in 2.3 seconds from snap to throw. Uh, and I just wondered, well, if they're not even letting anything develop downfield, who cares? It's not enough firepower, given this defense is still one of the very worst in the league. And then the second half happens, and that's when it really starts hitting. Doug Peterson goes in his bag, starts calling numerous running plays. This team finished actually today, including with Travis Etienne, who went over 100 yards with eight carries of 10-plus yards. Just get everything going in motion, including the same usage we saw for Evan Ingram last week on literal on just flat routes that are designed just for him to be put into man-to-man -man coverage against linebackers. Zay Jones's first or no second of three touchdowns in the day, a 59-yard double move as you see the dots on the screen against Kelvin Joseph, who got benched uh, at, because of this play. He literally Zay broke Joseph's ankle and just beat him it. to the beat him to the house deep for that 59-yard score, and then. You start thinking, okay, but the Cowboys still have a comfortable lead. No big deal. Literally the next possession for Dallas, Dak gets under pressure. He misses Dalton Schultz high, and it goes for an interception. Dak, of course, who now has nine interceptions in his last six games. And a lot of that's due to just poor decision-making as well. And then the Jaguars answer with a Marvin Jones touchdown on their next possession. I want to fast forward a little bit here, though, because the last few minutes of this game were absolutely wild. Lawrence scrambles and fumbles with 130 remaining in the game. Uh, and Micah Parsons, who initially crashed the pocket and pressured Lawrence to get him to scramble outside, is the one who pursued Lawrence 11 yards downfield to recover that fumble. And I just thought, okay, this is the analogy of the 2022 Jaguars. Like, it's fun, it's a lot, but it's a learning curve, and that's no big deal because Lawrence is still growing to his own. So with 130 remaining, the Cowboys get the ball back, the Jaguars have three timeouts. The Cowboys go run. Kill a timeout. 
run again, kill a timeout. And then on third and long, Dak questionably calls a deep shot to Noah Brown to the back of the end zone, and the Jaguars just force a punt rather than the Cowboys forcing them to use their final timeout with a minute remaining. And you obviously know what happens. Lawrence goes 41 yards on seven plays in a minute to tie the game with a 48-yard field goal at the end of regulation, including a booth review where Evan Ingram basically drags his guy five yards to the line of scrimmage to get outside. And they actually had to go back and make sure that the ball slammed on the chalk because it looks like he stayed in bounds. But no, he dragged his defender just to make sure to kill the clock. They kick the field goal. We go to overtime. Jaguars force to punt on their first position in overtime. You think, okay, that's it. The magic is yet again gone for this team. Dak then on third down for this offense bounces the ball off Noah Brown. It was a good throw. It was low, tight, not getting your defender killed uh, over the middle of the field. But the ball bounces off Noah Brown's hands. It happens to land in Rayshon Jenkins' hands, and he just runs forward for the walk-off pick six in this game. As you said, as the Jaguars stay alive and now control their own destiny to the division title. Well done, John Daigle. That was a monologue for the ages. Well done. Exciting game. Exciting game. The, the takeaway here is the Jaguars, I think, are a playoff team at this point. Uh, 538 has them at 44% odds, but in wow. that week 18 game, if they do beat uh, these Titans, that goes up to 72%. And I, I covered the Titans today in another game. They don't look very good. The Jaguars just beat the shit out of them. They have a higher point differential as well. The Jaguars, to me, would be a couple point favorites over the Titans uh, down the stretch. And I think I'm rooting for the Jaguars. Trevor Lawrence has turned a corner. Zay Jones somehow has turned a corner. Uh, and the whole offense uh, uh, right now is clicking. I mean, 17th round pick Zay Jones now becoming the wide receiver 17 on the season. I mean, this is the best season of all time in NFL history. There's no debate. He's having, he's having a bizarro season with Christian Kirk. Like Christian Kirk is the one that mattered the first eight weeks. And since then, in Zay Jones' last six games, uh, he had 41 targets in the last five games coming into this one. Like he's the one now just hounding away in targets, both deep and shallow. All I can tell you is I'm going to need three, four, five bottles of bubbly at the NFL combine when I hang out with Evan Silva and he's paying for every single one of those after this Zay Jones <laughs> performance this season. Eight targets, six receptions, 109 yards and three scores. I love this from the Jaguars because it has been a rocky road this season at times when you see the moments where Trevor Lawrence doesn't just take the jabs and he tries to force throws in there. And look, I, I can tell you from inside of that building, they viewed honestly an Urban Meyer rookie year as two steps back in Trevor Lawrence's development because it's sure playing time and you hopefully can learn from it, but nothing good happened from that season entirely. So it just makes sense in the first few games of this year, you know, when you go and open two and one, and then after that, you go on a losing streak of five straight against the Eagles, against the Texans, against the Colts, against the Giants, against the Broncos that now, like you said, in their last six games, this has been six incredible performances by Trevor Lawrence, where it's not even like a fully-fledged passing attack, a full-fledged great offensive line that he's working around, yet he is creating explosives with, I would argue, a passing offense that lacks explosiveness outside of Travis Etienne. And the rest of the way, it's at the Jets, it's at the Texans, and it's to the Titans. So, Hayden, I guess my question to you, and we'll cover this more throughout the week, does that Jets game even matter, or is it everything just inside the division, and it's them versus the Titans, and that's it? 
they're battling for the AFC South, not a wild card spot here. So it really just comes down. I mean, obviously, it doesn't have to be that Week 18 game. That's obviously the most important game. But they can flip-flop some of these other games. But I just think that they're a better football team than the Titans right now. And we'll see Ryan Tannehill left with an injury, uh, high ankle sprain. He need to play through it. But if that starts acting up, all of a sudden the Jaguars could go into that game and not even have it as a must-win. And Dago, I did want to bring one thing up because – a lot of the early season struggles by the Jaguars were, again, those forced passes inside of the red zone for Trevor Lawrence and just really bad turnovers. I mean, three of his four touchdown passes today were inside of the 10-yard line. And it's like he has, you know, started to figure out what can be available, what is the open play based on the read and not forcing anything. And maybe Doug Peterson has, you know, worked with him on that too. That's exactly what we want to see, right? This is true development that we've witnessed in these last six weeks and why I'm all the way in. And week nine is really when that break started happening because until that point, he personally was one of the worst quarterbacks inside the red zone. And maybe it was just too quick for him, especially after a three quarters of a season and your rookie year trying to develop under Urban Meyer. But now since week nine, he's been a top 10 quarterback in EPA per drop back inside the 20 yard line. So that's just enough. It's all clicking. I wish it were the, the NFC they were playing because they'd be live. The AFC is just so tough. And there are all these wrinkles that – basically just make you want to coin flip the AFC to the conference championship since the Bengals own the Chiefs, but the Chiefs own the Bills. We're going to see the Bengals play the Bills here in a couple weeks to see how they fare against one another. The Dolphins have taken the Bills to the wire both games now, so it's hard to say like the Jaguars are going to be Cinderella here, but at the same time, you are getting a little whiff of what the Bengals made them get there last year, where it's like, you just need a few bounces of the ball, you need talent, and just let luck take you the rest of the way. So we'll see what happens here down the stretch. I'm rooting for them. Uh, last note for, for me, Evan Ingram, 40 routes on 45 dropbacks here. That's tight end one production. Obviously, it's come in spurts here, but I don't see the reason any reason for the Jaguars to run the ball anymore. Like they, This is what's working, them airing it out. And I don't think the Jaguars' defense is very good. Um, so I think we're gonna get some shootouts the rest of the season. 127 total yards here for Travis Etienne. It's his best performance here in a couple weeks. Just quickly, Daigle, talk me through the Dallas Cowboys because they were riding a high. You know, they had some a down performance last week against the Houston Texans, barely covered and barely won, I should say, at the end, certainly didn't cover. And then now they dropped to 10 and four with like, you know, two interceptions by Dak on three sacks. Tony Pollard gets 75 yards, Zeke gets 58 yards and a touchdown. And then outside of that, it's like your superstars go off and CeeDee Lamb goes seven for 126. At the end of the day, what didn't happen? Was it just the defense not showing up like it should have and has so far in previous weeks? Yes, and the Jaguars in the first half in particular threw a lot of man coverage at the Cowboys. And then they had to come back out after the half and change it because CD nearly went over 100 in the first half alone, just bullying Trey Herndon. It was basically a college player against an NFL-grown man. And that's why they then went to zone coverages and whatnot. But honestly, both picks for Dak here, just poor decision-making. Well, the second one, as we mentioned, more luck than anything when you go back and see it. But the first one, throwing over Schultz, that was because... Uh, Roy Robertson Harris had a season high five pressures today. He's the one who pressured Dak into his interception. He's the one who pressured Dak throwing low to Noah Brown as well. So it's just like little key players on the front seven coming up big here too.
And then just having a, a really bad player and Kelvin Joseph having his bad day instead of and, like Anthony Brown being out there, right? Like and that, that's what I was, sometimes. And that's what I was worried about with my like even analysis of the Jaguars offense coming into this game. I left I left the door wide open, knowing there was an injury cluster in Dallas's secondary, saying, okay, they don't have like the key players here. So maybe the Jaguars can push the ball with these. But when you go back in the second half, even and watch Trevor Lawrence's throws, those are number one overall pick throws. That's someone coming of age. As for Dak, uh, Next Gen Stat tweeted this out. Uh, he had a success rate like, or positive EPA on 60% of his dropbacks, and that makes him the number one on the season. The problem is some of these interceptions have just been popping up. And that, there's been some miscommunications I've seen on like post routes with like CD Lamb, for example. Obviously, that was a drop here. It's a couple of these really bad interceptions that might not even be the fault of Dak Prescott. For the most part, this offense is moving forward. I don't see any reason to panic here. It was just bad luck, but we've seen bad or good teams lose tight games all, all season long. All right. We have 14 games to hit today, so I'll try to speed up as we go along. But next up, it's you, Hayden Winks, because the Kansas City Chiefs win 30-24 to 24 over the Houston Texans. A Texans team that has been quite feisty against the Eagles, the aforementioned Cowboys, and here today against Kansas City, who were projected to win by 14.5 points, again, just by six. At the end of the day, you get a near-perfect performance statistically from Patrick Mahomes, 36 of 41 336 yards and two touchdowns. So it was an NFL record for quarterbacks with at least 40 pass attempts. He completed 87.8%. That's the highest in NFL history. He had two passing touchdowns. He had a rushing touchdown. Uh, he had over 350 yards here. Yet this game still went to overtime for a couple reasons. None of them were really Patrick Mahomes' fault. Uh, he only had two sacks in this game. Uh, there was a fumble from Juju Smith-Schuster after yards after the catch. There was a fumble from Isaiah Pacheco. There was 93 yards with penalties. There was a bunch of uh, wonkiness in this game, but consistently Patrick Mahomes was moving the ball. I do want to give a quick shout-out to the Houston Texans for hanging in this. This is one of the better games I've, I've personally seen from Davis Mills, and they really needed it. They were trying the Jeff Driscoll stuff. Actually, Jeff Driscoll was actually the starting quarterback in this game. The difference, though, is Jeff Driscoll is just not fast enough to do this stuff. Like, that's just as simple as it is. It's not going to work. He's not going to be a Taysom Hill, in my opinion. He actually busted in this game. Um, the only skill position really that matters, Chris Moore drew another nine targets here. We'll see if Nico Collins and, uh, and Brandon Cooks return. Uh, Darwin Bawale, Royce Freeman, Rex Burka, they all mixed in. None of these Texans guys are good enough. Uh, but the real story here for fantasy purposes, I thought, was the running back position. Isaiah Pacheco was getting the ball early and he was actually very successful with it. He had that crucial fumble. And then after that, they got Ronald Jones a touch and then they got Jarek McKinnon involved for the rest of the first half. They did go back to Isaiah Pacheco in some of these rushing situations. But once again, Jarek McKinnon, that's 10 for 52 with the touchdown on the ground. He also had eight targets, caught all of them for 70 yards in a score. I'm not sure if we're going to get full bell cow production here, but I can tell you this very confidently if there's one running back that they trust in all situations, it is without question Jarek McKinnon. Sometimes we see uh, these elite teams tighten up who they're bringing into rotations, and if that does happen, I know which way it's going. It's going to Jarek McKinnon. So I don't want to call him all RB1 or anything yet. I think that's too early, but there is a potential for that to happen, especially after Isaiah Pacheco fumbles. And this is exactly what we saw at the end of last season too in the real NFL playoffs where – when they needed someone to trust, Jarek McKinnon is the one who emerges. And I think it's well said, Hayden. Like every single week, you can't expect, you know, two receiving scores for Jarek McKinnon, even though it feels like we've gotten that in each of the last two weeks. But when you are the veteran running back 
who was most trusted in one of the most high-powered offense and the MVP of the league is at quarterback, good things happen from there. And that's not to take anything away from what Isaiah Pacheco and the story he's written so far this season of being, what, a sixth-round rookie or seventh-round rookie and emerging as a powerful runner. But when you make small mistakes in a game, like you're supposed to win by 14 points against the Houston Texans, they lean on the player that is trusted. And we see this across the league. It's not just with the Chiefs. It's with anyone. So who knows? And and throw in a dash of like the usage inside the five and inside the 10-yard line, how much that can change for running backs. I'm with you. Like a solid running back too that you understand a ceiling can be there, but also like a really nice opportunity floor can be there too for Jarek McKinnon. Dago is how I've been viewing this and how I will view it moving forward. And the fact he just out-touched Isaiah Pacheco today is a change in role as well. It's great too for fantasy because after having to scramble through and talk about Justin Watson, knowing he wasn't earning targets, but he was at least out there. Sky Moore, who just blew his opportunity every single chance he got playing time. And all these other guys for this team, it's finally becoming clear. And that's what you see in the box score. It's Travis Kelsey, 10 targets. Judas Mishuster from the slot, 10 targets. Jarrett McKinnon as a receiving back, 8 targets. No one else matters. And that's the way I imagine it will be going into the postseason. Yeah, uh, Watson was still out there, dropped a, a deep pass. Uh, MVS scored a touchdown here, but he wasn't a full-time player. Kadarius Tony plays, but only five snaps here. Sky Moore is still a ghost. Um, Juju Smith-Schuster really earned his catches here. I would say he took the hardest amount of hits of any player this week. You guys can go watch that in the replay. A very tough game from Juju Smith-Schuster. You're not going to get the explosives, but like you guys said, He's a reliable option. The rest of this wide receiver group is just not that. So I think down the stretch, more Juju, more Jarek McKinnon, more Travis Kelsey. The rest of it is just a little cherry on top. And we'll see what happens with McCole Hardman. I think he's due back next week. But for now, uh, ride Jarek McKinnon. I think that I would be ranking him as like an RB2. Still boom bust variety, but uh, he's going to be a top 20 running back for me next week. Final question, just because, you know, it's fantasy football and people might care. Royce Freeman pops up here for 11 carries in comparison to Dario Gumbawale's eight in comparison to Rex Burkhead's zero. What the hell? Down the stretch, it did go to Royce Freeman. It doesn't matter. There's too much of a rotation. And this was like one of the better Texans games. We can't expect this to, to keep happening. So no interest. It, there is not a rotation in the receivers room, though. We know that at least. And we'll see if Nico Collins comes back. I do not expect Brandon Cooks to play the rest of the year. But now we know Chris Moore has soaked up 39% of the team's targets in the last two games. That's it. That's it. All right. Next up, we're going to go to the Lions and the Jets in a game where two teams with nearly identical records, but in opposite divisions, you get the Lions emerging to a seven and seven record, winning 20 to 17 on the road in New Jersey. Uh, the team that won, won the turnover battle and special teams battle, and it gave them the victory. I mean, the Lions went for it early on fourth and goal, I think on their first drive of the game, Jamal gets three carries inside of the 10. Justin Jackson gets another and they can't get in due to a whiff block. So they pin the jets on their one yard line. Zach Wilson and company cannot move the ball. So Khalif Raymond returns it for a touchdown. We get, you know, some up and down offensive moments for the rest of the game, but really at the end of the day, to me, it was about miss Jets opportunities when their defense played so well against an offense that we've outlined on the channel that we talk about every single week is creative and electric. And for the vast majority of this game, 
the Jets defense, even without Quinnen Williams, made Jared Goff look like the late career Rams quarterback that we've come to know when short arming passes under pressure on checkdowns and not knowing what to do under duress. But the exact same time, Zach Wilson did not have it in him to overcome open opportunities and huge critical moments like we have seen Mike White do in previous weeks. You know, there was third and 12s of crossing routes or the middle of the field where Garrett Wilson has a window to hit. Again, we've seen Mike White hit those the last two weeks and Zach Wilson could not. Sure, there was a nice 33-yard pass outside of structure to Garrett Wilson. There was a 40-yard leak route over the middle that we have seen other quarterbacks hit across the league over and over and over again. But I will come back to, right now, it just sucks. I think for this Jets team that's put so much into this season, it's been rocky, it's been tumultuous, it's had a lot of conflict and a lot of fun discussion topics. But Zach Wilson just cannot lead this organization right now to be quarterback, and I'm afraid he's going to get another start next week too. Here what... Real quick, Daigle, here was his passing charts. There is no consistency with his game. Yes, this week he padded the box score because he hit some of these long touchdowns. Uh, but like those are fluky type of plays here. His A dot right for this game was at like 15, 99th percentile. Uh, there's no in pocket stuff. There's nothing easy with this offense right now. And that's why I think that they're gonna keep losing games, uh, close games against division or uh teams that could make the playoffs like the Lions, because you just there's no consistency to his game. And once you heard that they were going to start Zach Wilson guaranteed on Thursday night too, you knew this two-game stretch, he's literally playing for his career with the Jets. They purposely wanted to in institute it this way, playing two soft defenses against the Lions and Jaguars, where they're saying, if you can't succeed in this spot, since we did admittedly throw you out in tough situations in your first seven games, you just literally cannot succeed in the NFL. And yes, he basically failed this first test. Garrett Wilson even. A lot of George Pickens, Kenny Pickett vibes here, as you saw, Josh. Lots of Garrett Wilson shaking his head, yelling at coordinators, just absolutely pissed off this kid is under center. Yeah. And look, the rushing game got shut down by the Lions. And this is like the sixth straight week. The Lions have done a really good job against the opposition's running game. Zyma Knight, who left for, I think, a full quarter in this game, only got 13 carries for 23 yards. But there is this one moment, and I'll pull it up, this one play, where it's literally cover three here, you know? And as soon as Zach Wilson, at the end of his drop, sees 39 past 17 off to the middle of the field safety, he should know that this whole shot to Elijah Moore is not going to be here. Yet, he stares it down, lackadaisically throws it off his back foot, and it's just an easy interception. Just an easy interception out there. Um, and after that, he really crawled into his shell at times. Wasn't confident to hit these other throws. And Mike LaFleur, I think the rest of the way, until they really needed it, like to string one drive together. All this team really needed was one freaking drive. And they couldn't do it. And sure, at the end, it was a 50-whatever, seven-miss-yard field goal from Greg Zorline to send into overtime. Your defense puts you in such a good position, you know, funneling and, and constricting an offense in the Lions that did some really nice things in previous weeks and couldn't do that at all today. And even, again, I'm not going to give too much credit to Jared Goff here, who had Jamison Williams streaking for a 50-yard touchdown, climb pocket immediately, wide open spaces and couldn't even fire at 50 yards for a score. So I think in the end, it really shows you how a lot of quarterbacks, a la Jared Goff and even Zach Wilson at times when things are clean can 
run through the structure of an offense, hit open receivers, yet when pressured, when it's a difficult spot, these are the moments when those players fall off a cliff. A lot of quarterbacks do when get pressured, but this is, again, the Grand Canyon at times. And it, it was no more evident when watching this game throughout, and you guys will see it this week too. The Lions have a 42% chance of making the playoffs with this win. The Jets drop down to 21%. So if they lose any of these next coming games, they're basically out of this at this point. And it doesn't seem like Mike White is going to be available next week. Uh, Josh, just real quick. DeAndre Swift, Jamal Williams, Justin Jackson, anything new or more of the same? There's literally nothing to say. <laughs> like DeAndre was getting some work early on and it was mostly between the 20s. And again, Jamal had three carries on that one fourth and goal situation and they couldn't get it in because of some blocked, uh, some missed blocks. And again, I think the Jets defense deserves a lot of credit for that, but there's nothing we can take from this. And in fact, in like the most pivotal play for the Lions offense out there, guess who was on the field in fourth and one? Where in the fourth quarter with two minutes to go for a 51 yard touchdown, Justin Jackson is the one who's in the backfield, you know? Yeah, I, I have snap counts right now. Uh, DeAndre Swift 27, Justin Jackson 22, Jamal Williams 21, Garrett Wilson also wide receiver 23 right now with prime time left to play. So most likely he's going to finish the week as a wide receiver three. That's how I'll have him ranked against the Jaguars on Thursday night as well with Zach Wilson. All right, Daigle, you're up next. Let's go now to the Hmm. Hmm. Eagles. Uh, Patriots and Raiders. Yeah. I mean, that's just like five minutes of a game. <laughs> well, it had an incredible ending. Unlike anything I have ever seen before where the Las Vegas Raiders in the final dying seconds, take a backward pass from Jacoby Myers, about 30 yards past the line of scrimmage from Chandler Jones running, trucking Mac Jones for a touchdown and again, winning in the end, 30 to 24, bring the Patriots to again, a very average seven and seven, which is very fitting for this football team. A wacky, wacky game where you would not be shocked. The Raiders built a 17 to three halftime lead. So of course they went down 24, 17 at one point in this game. Uh, but even the Patriots driving the field, Getting Kevin Harris to start, by the way, over Ramondre Stevenson, even though when you look at the box score, it's still Stevenson who commands nearly every touch here. They get him more and more involved as the game goes along. But even like the Pats made it to the red zone in the first possession. They had a Jacoby Myers TD wiped out because Belichick called a timeout before the play uh, commenced. And then they had Matt Jones sneak touchdown negated because a false start was called. It was just poor execution overall from the very beginning for them. Then a blocked punt leaves the Raiders inside the 30 to eventually turn that short field to build that 17-3 lead. But overall, the Pats come firing back in the second half. Uh, we get a questionable Keelan Cole call towards the end that helped tie the game that was going to send it into the overtime. Um, just a really weird touchdown in a world where we don't know what a catch is, but whenever you see a wide receiver's foot outside, like literally out of bounds, and it's very concise, <laughs> he was you, out. Know, it's, you know it's not a touchdown, <laughs> and yet they went to review and called it a touchdown. I don't understand whatsoever. Anyways, though, Patriots get the ball back with one second to play. You, of course, kneel the ball and go to overtime. No big deal, especially on your 20. But they instead call a halfback draw. Okay, run the ball up 20 yards field, Stevenson. Uh, you can't make anything happen. Slide, take the tackle, go down, take it the overtime. No big deal. Instead, he laterals to Jacoby Myers. Okay, Jacoby, it's still a tie game. No big deal. Go out of bounds, hit the ground. Let's take this to overtime. Jacoby Myers throws it 
15 yards back to Mac Jones, who, mind you, even then would have to run 60 yards upfield to not make it a tie game. So I don't know what the next move would be. It's like when the when the cat tries to get outside and eventually someone leaves the door open and the cat gets outside, it pauses because it never thinks about the next step. What's the next step when Mac Jones gets the ball 60 yards away from the end zone and can't throw it upfield? Nonetheless, it goes backwards. Chandler Jones is just sitting there because the ball falls into his lap. Mac Jones isn't around the lateral. He turns around and he stiff arms Mac Jones into the earth's core. It's going to be a meme for the rest of our lifetime and just runs upfield for the craziest walk-off touchdown that usually these calls go the opposite way for the Raiders that you will ever see in your life. Okay, can we hypothesize this? Do we think yes. that the Patriots players knew that the game was tied? Like yes. this, okay, this isn't a scenario where you try to lateral it for a touchdown though. Typically that's only when you're behind because plays like this can happen. And to me, the funniest image is when Jacoby Myers is throwing this ball back. And the only two players that are back there is offensive lineman 71 and Mac Jones. Like you said, Mac Jones have to take it completely to the other side. And even What's he going to do? Make a play. What's he going to do? He can't well, do anything. Chandler Jones is standing on the Raiders logo. I wonder if he was blending in in some, some, <laughs> some type of way. But I'm with Daigle here. How do you recover from this one? Like, not to be hyperbolic here, but man, like, this is something that will be one of the first things that you will say about Mac Jones' career. And I hate to say it, but Mac Jones is. Uh, he had a 26% success rate. He had negative 20% completion percentage over expected. This is more or less a playoff game for their AF, AFC wildcard odds, which now have dropped to 19%. And that's what happened here. So it's it's just pathetic by everything. Neither of these teams should be in the playoffs. Um, it's terrible, terrible, terrible luck with Jacoby Myers and Mac Jones at the end. I, I mean, I and think again. it's a legit discussion this summer with Mac Jones. Like, hand up, huge Mac Jones fan. Out of last season, I think he played better than a lot of people wanted to give him credit for. This year, it's own- been abysmal. It's been a really abysmal this year, Daigle. And I think it's, I mean, either they say to ourselves, it was all Matt Patricia and Joe Judge's fault, and we have to bring in a new play caller, which those are friends of Bill. So who knows if that is going to be the decision? Or it's Mac is not the guy. We've learned a lot this year, and we're just going to move on. Like, I, I wouldn't have expected heading into this year this is the point to even think of this conversation. And I think it is worth having a conversation about after week 15. I agree. But I say this as someone who I don't think I'm considered a Mac Jones guy, but you're in immediately setting the next player up to fail. If it's Joe judge and Matt Patricia, who's also developing them, that's the issue. So I don't know if I blame this on Mac Jones. I don't know if the fact he had a hundred passing yards through three quarters. I don't even know if I can blame them because they literally were running plays with three running backs and three tight ends on the field at the same time. They have no offense. They are just a consistent screen and underneath game because they don't know how to call offense. So I, I, again, I don't blame him. But also, like, the next person would also just fail in this situation. I don't want to only call call out the uh, coaching staff, though. This skill group is horrendous. Like, we can't pretend that, like, this Jacoby Myers, Hunter Henry stuff is is good in any capacity. Like, it's not good at any of the spots. Ramondre Stevenson on a bum ankle, I do want to give him some credit here. It seemed like they didn't know what his status was going to be. That's why he didn't start. That's why he was barely practicing. They got desperate. He was able to do just enough, and that's why he got so much of the run. Uh, in this game, it's that's what it seems like. We'll see what happens with Damian Harris. It's Ramondre's Ramondre's good. 
the rest of this offense is so bad. So bad. And the offensive line is so much worse this year than it was last year. And that was such a critical piece of them. I'm with you, Dave. I mainly just wanted to bring that up because I know it's going to be a conversation as we go along. Um, but I think it more so puts into perspective of maybe who Mac Jones is. Like we never necessarily thought he was an elevator in terms of, hey, we can make chicken salad out of chicken shit. But now he's just, you know, the grapes and the walnuts in that chicken sh shit, you know, like he's he's nothing special um, when the rest of the pieces around him are bad, too. And I think that that is a huge indicator for who a quarterback is. If he can't change the rhythm, I mean, the, the development of what the team is going to be and like climb them out of holes, then he's kind of a replaceable guy, to be honest with you. Like you can win with that if your team is really good. When your team is average or bad, then your quarterback is going to be average and bad. And that is a huge, again, cliff and marker for a type of quarterback in the league. And the last three minutes of this game were fun. Yes. But at the same time, like, if you ask me to say, like, which teams am I not watching the rest of the year because they just don't matter? Nothing changes, and they do not matter. They are waiting to get knocked out of the first round. It is the Patriots and the Bucks, and we will get to the Bucks later. Yes, we will. Um, just amazing by this Patriots defense to keep Devontae Adams for 4 for 28, a dude who is probably, what, going to lead the NFL in receiving yards this season and be able to do that is, is nutso stuff. And Josh Jacobs, just 22 carries for 93 yards. Again, it sounds like the Patriots defense did their job. Right. Darren Waller also returned in this game. Uh, basically a full-time player, looked healthy. And just a quick note, Kyle Duggar, the first player in NFL history with a fumble recovery touchdown and pick six in a mm. game. I think that's what the record is. All right. Tennessee Titans were expected to put up fireworks, Hayden Winks. They only managed 17 points. But in the end, it was a victory over the Tennessee Titans. The Chargers climbed eight and six. The Titans fall to seven and seven talk me through this one i mean just another wacky game from joe lombardi uh we talked about it all week everyone was uh the chargers number one neutral pass rate the titans teams facing them uh had the number one neutral pass rate against them so what does joe lombardi do they open this game up with six pass attempts 11 carries were the carries working no they weren't working you can't run on the titans uh so they were playing with uh, one hand tied behind their back here justin herbert none of these passes were going downfield until late in the game when they had had to have this, when the game was tied up, you get Justin Herbert bailing from the pocket, like rightfully so, and throwing the ball up to big Mike Williams, who had a one-on-one -on -one matchup, was able to come down with it. They end up kicking a game-winning field goal, 17-14. to 14. Right now, the Chargers are in good good uh, space for the wildcard round, 82% chance of making the playoffs. Uh, and their last couple games, the Colts, the Rams, the Broncos, they're very set up, especially with the Jets and the Patriots looking bad and losing this week. But the defense was pretty good, and it's hard its hard to tell uh, how good the defense was or how bad the Titans' offense were. And they just don't have any pass game weapons for Tennessee. So it was a lot of Derrick Henry who was running really hard, breaking a couple tackles here and there. I thought I had a good game in general. But with Ryan Tannehill not being able – like no mo movement, Ryan Tannehill, not necessarily the greatest. There wasn't able to do any of the bootleg stuff. And just the pass catchers aren't good enough. So I don't think the Titans are very good, uh, very like gutsy performance because of how many injuries they have. But this was kind of like a classic game on both sides. They had Titans, seven starters missing on defense. So you figure the Chargers would definitely attack them through the air. And as you mentioned, before they hit the two-minute warning, whenever they were 
simply pass, pass, pass because they had to get into scoring range. I looked up and they literally had as many running back carries. And mind you, Austin Eckler missed two possessions in the first half. They had as many running back carries as dropbacks. It was egregious, like a fireball offense for Joe Lombardi to call the game this way. But of course, Justin Herbert bails them out again, like Hayden mentioned, going down, getting the ball back with less than a minute remaining, and two dots, including that final deep throw to Mike Williams, which is an amazing throw and an amazing catch to put Chris Dicker in field goal territory to walk off this game. Like, that's literally the summary. It was two plays and another 58 minutes of miserable play calling. We got to get Derrick Henry involved in the passing game. Today, he had four receptions for 59 yards. Um, There were weeks, again, like three to four receptions. When you look on average for Derrick Henry's career, good things happen when you get him there. And then sometimes they go weeks without getting him two catches in a game. But, I mean, again, 59 receiving yards for him in this game, 104 rushing yards. There's even a moment that was a six-play, 63-yard drive. He was responsible for all 63 yards, including the touchdown, on that drive. And I think it also speaks to... Not to get too carried away here, but what this team views Malik Willis as, where you get Ryan Tannehill, who was legit carted to the locker room with re-injuring what it seemed like that ankle injury, seen here with one of the, again, funnier photos, looking out of the blue tent, being like, hey, what's going on out there? And they would rather have an immobile Ryan Tannehill than a rookie in Malik Willis, who obviously doesn't see the field very well at this time. So I'm with you, Hayden, as you said, during the, the Jaguars portion of this conversation, where I think the two teams are going in the opposite way. Maybe there's not enough time left for them to, you know, cross an, an intersection for the Jaguars to actually get to the playoffs. But in terms of entertainment factor, 100% want to side with the Jags over the Titans. We have some uh, more of the same with the the Titans tight end. I know that people are looking at Chig and Austin Hooper. Uh, Chig had a good game, definitely a good yards after the catch threat, but only 20 of 34 routes, still not a full-time player. And yeah, you want to get Derek under the ball more in the passing game, but there's just a limitation of how many times you can actually let him touch the rock. 25 seems about appropriate. Uh, so it, they just don't have any other options here. So I, I don't know what they're going to do. Um, like Daigle said, Austin Eckler in the early parts of the game has a little arm injury, goes to the tent, comes back in. But meanwhile, Joshua Kelly, of course, gets the goal line carry. That would have been Austin Eckler who had a goal line carry where it looked very powerful in his own right. I think Austin Eckler is going to be f- fine, but it's a good reminder to have Joshua Kelly. Uh, he's the clear backup just in case something happens to him. Oh, uh, the other thing, Josh Palmer uh, came back in the game but did kind of uh, had some type of leg injury. We'll see what happens with him. He didn't look that fast coming out uh, once he returned, but um, something to monitor. Chig's 58% route rate was a new high in relation to his last three games, but marginally, like not enough to matter. The point is, though, for Aconquo is that as long as Traylon Burks is out, the Titans' primary set these past three weeks has been 12 personnel, two tight ends, and his targets are concerted. There were twice in this game where they either flexed him to the backfield or in that in terms of that big 20-yard catch he had in the fourth quarter, they literally called the play where he chipped a block and then run over the middle of the field, and he basically plays like a wide receiver. They just hit him while he's sprinting downfield. Like His targets are different than normal targets, so 55% route rate is 75% route rate for another tight end. And but his, his targets are Traylon Burks' targets. Well we'll, 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 yes. we'll, we'll see Absolutely. what happens with that, though, because if, if they say enough already with the Nick Westbrook and Keenan, they can stay with this two tight end looks to just have Traylon Burks out there. We haven't seen that, though, so that's that's kind of projecting. And like Deagle said, uh, Chick's carry was like a legit running back carry. Like, I think it was a running back. This is Johnny Smith incarnated. <laughs> it's, it's exactly where we're heading here. Ryan Tannehill's game-time quarterback sneak two on the one-yard line. I just want to point out that more coaches should do this. 
Vrabel put Jeff Swaim in motion to be a fullback to Derrick Henry, just slotted off a little bit to the left. And then Tannehill moves forward after the snap, and both Swaim and Henry come in, and basically, as you're supposed to do, you got to make your quarterback piss blood. You have to hit him directly in the kidney <laughs> and push him forward as hard as you can. And, dude, I really thought Teddy got hurt because Swain yes. and Henry come full speed and just knock him like a car forward into the end zone. It was awesome. Derek Henry was not getting denied on that one, that's for sure. That's funny. That's funny. All right, here we go. We'll go over to the Cincinnati Bengals being the Tampa Bay Buccaneers 34-23. to 23. Tom Brady entering this game when leading by 17 in any regular season contest was 89 and 0 that is now 89 and 1 so how did we get here well early on and i even tweeted out in the first quarter the bucks offense was frisky the bucks offense probably looked the best it had in in weeks you know tom was hitting his back foot off play action and not just delivering short passes they were intermediate and downfield to both chris godwin and both mike evans it, it really felt like he was very comfortable with knowing what Lou Anarumo was doing defensively because his pre and pro post snap processing was, was on point. In fact, at one point in the second quarter, the Bengals had 14 plays and the Bucks had 14 first downs. So it was dominant. Get 17, 13 out of halftime. And then the Bucks just like totally shit the bed. In fact, it was five straight turnovers. The first was a failed punt fake where the up man didn't know the ball was being snapped, bounced off of his face mask, and into the ground. Then it was a Tom Brady strip sack, Tom Brady interception, fumbled, you know, handoff to Leonard Fournette, and then another Tom Brady interception. I mean, there were three straight drives that started inside of the 31-yard line for the Cincinnati Bengals, and they maximized offensively. I think you can give a lot of credit to what Joe Burrow did on some third downs, his throws to Jamar Chase, obviously Tyler Boyd and T. Higgins. All those guys each caught a touchdown pass. But in the day, because of short fields and Lou Anarumo's defense and Lou Anarumo's halftime adjustments, which I think can kind of be like a cliche when you talk about football, be like, oh, he gave him a pep talk and he changed the game plan. It really felt like he did. He was dropping more into coverage. The blitzes were perfectly timed as well. And they just confused Tom Brady, who again was so comfortable in the first half. So Credit to the Bengals. This was another way of them winning the season, I felt like, and already a season full of twists and turns for them and figuring out what works and pulling levers. This is another one, and it's just a really cool sight to see. I'm looking at the Bucs. Uh, they started their each one of their series, 17 of the 33 started with a pass. All 17 of those, they picked up a first down or scored a touchdown. So all 17 of their uh, – they started with the pass. And then when they started with a run – of course, that drops down to 50%, which is 17th percentile in the NFL. The run game is non-existent here. So unless you start seeing Chris Godwin and Mike Evans turn the corner or Tom Brady, some of his accuracy, I think, is down a little bit. I'm not sure if it's the arm strike. I do think it's a little bit of the arc, uh, accuracy and definitely some of the willingness to take a hit has been the primary difference here. But I don't see either of those things kind of recouping here. So uh, big win, big comeback win for, for the Bengals. The Bucks nearly went. 10 consecutive games without reaching 23 points either until Russell Gage's garbage time, second touchdown, because they are a miserable offense. If you reach 21 on them, you have to have a 90% chance of winning. They are so bad. By the way, we could just say this. What a day for Josh Norris. Three touchdowns for Zay Jones, two touchdowns for Noah Brown, two touchdowns for Russell Gage. <laughs> I mean, I think the 
people in the C-suite of underdog fantasy are lucky that this dude can't play Best Ball Mania 3. R- Russell Gage. Because <laughs> it might have stayed in-house. G- Gage is who is the last receiver on my lone remaining Best Ball Mania seed as well. <laughs> no, in fact, Russell Gage, and Romo was having some fun with Russell Gage on the field because he had a nice move for that first touchdown. But other than that, he was just like not getting open. He was in the wrong place at the wrong time. The timing was off and he was making some poor attempts at the catch point. So like he does some good things and not a lot of good things. And I think he's locked in this roster because they paid him a ton of money. They cannot get out of his contract. They can't get no. out of his contract. No, um, Leonard Fournette washed Rashad white lethargic. Uh, Chris Scott, Mike Evans was probably having his best game, but again, all that gets you here is five receptions for 83 yards. And it felt like all of that was in the first half. All 70, 71 was in the first half, including a negated because you can't go a Mike Evans game without something being called back. A 32-yard catch that had to be brought back because Chris Godwin late in the play, too. It's not cheating. This one should have counted. Chris Godwin had a block in the back late in that catch. Yeah, um, and Joe Burrow did have a one of the deepest sacks I've ever seen taken away. It was a fourth down. He dropped back about 26 yards, ran to midfield. There was like an arguable defensive holding on Levante David, even when Joe Burrow was already running back to his own end zone. Anyways, it was just one of those fun plays. That if you go back and watch it, uh, it, it'll pop up. But again, I think this is just really cool from the Bengals. You know, like we have seen them four touchdowns at the end of the day, and this was all in the second half, all of it. And there was key third downs when Joe Burrow was using his legs. 10-yard run in that department, and still nothing from the running game. 24 yards from Samaj P. Ryan, 21 yards from Joe Mixon, and they got it done because their defense on short fields. I'm sure we all have start sits with T. Higgins as well, where we just said you can't trust him. Like, I would like to start him, but you just can't. We did. Uh, they, okay, well, the universe corrected itself in this game because T. Higgins ran a route on 95% of dropbacks, second most routes on the team, and Tyler Boyd, third most routes on the team, 80% of dropbacks. The world is okay again. There we go. All right, Jacob, what was your last game? Bears-Eagles, which I thought you would pull up before oh, the Patriots Oh, yeah, came great up. game. Let's do this one. So the Eagles at the Bears. Fun, fun plays all around. Another game that seemingly for the vast majority of it was a lot closer than we expected it to be. In fact, many, some on the show, thought it would be a ground and pound approach from the Philadelphia Eagles against this weakened Bears front. But no. Jalen Hurts had to drop back 37 times, throw for 309 yards. Yes, two interceptions were there, but three rushing scores from Jalen Hurts in the day allowed them to win 25-20 to 20 and continue on with a 13-1 record. You said he had to. I'm letting you know he didn't have to. This was clearly the Nick Sirianni, Jalen Hurts. We got to get Hurts the MVP now, even though that that award just comes down to week 16 and whether they beat the Cowboys. Nothing else matters. So I don't know why they were in a hurry here. But to that point, Miles Sanders didn't have his first carry till 641 remaining in the second quarter. They didn't run the ball at all. They literally only went downfield against the Bears. And that's why Jalen Hurts threw two picks in the first half. That's why the Eagles had three turnovers in the first half. They were a miserable offense trying to force the issue the entire time, and that allowed the Bears to hang around. So much so that, yes, Devonta Smith went over 100 yards in the first half alone. A.J. Brown as well, by the way, in this game, career high, 169 receiving yards. The third time this year, he set a career high in receiving yards. Also, NFL Next Gen Stats charted 12 targets, and 143 of those yards against single high coverage. So basically the read was, if you snap the ball and you see single high on A.J. Brown, 
you absolutely just throw it his direction. You don't ask questions. And, you know, whenever the Eagles in the second half were leading 17-13, like, that helped. Hertz literally dropped it in a bucket to Brown for a 69-yard completion. So, like, this is how he got by. Um, and when you look up, you see A.J. Brown and Devonta Smith combined for 307 of Hertz's 315 passing yards. Basically did all of the work for him as no one else mattered in this game but those two players. After the game, they asked Sirianni about kind of these uh, pass run splits, and he said that the advantage that they thought they had coming into this was one-on-one matchups on the outside, which I think is uh, pretty important here because I think they could have easily won this game on the ground if they chose to do that. But like you said, you're getting one-on-one cover one snaps against these two. It's actually turning out kind of, Remember last year, there was points in the season when the Bengals, it was Jamar Chase and T Higgins. If it was cover one, cover three, it's all right. We're running a, a go route and we're dropping into the bucket and our guy is going to moss your guy or run past them. And that's kind of what the Eagles are doing. Obviously, the Bengals and the Eagles are a lot of ways these offenses are different. But single high coverage on the perimeter, the ball is going up and usually it's coming down with it. And about... Miles Sanders' fumble here was his first of the season, but it did lead to a point in the second half where he and Sirianni got into a shouting match on the sideline. Uh, I believe Sanders was noticeably pissed about his usage in this game. Interesting. Yeah, we talk about every single week here with A.J. Brown, and he's always been a big play wide receiver just because he's so athletic and so massive. But many of those big catch and runs that we previously saw with the Tennessee Titans were over the middle of the field on over routes and off play action, deep play action for Brian Tannehill. But him emerging as this legit outside the numbers downfield threat that maximizes on these cover one looks that we showed you on the dots, that's sweet. Like that's a little evolution of taking someone's skill set and using it in a slightly different area that we're seeing from, you know, I think maybe one what of the top three connections in the NFL right now is Jalen hurts to, to AJ Brown. It's just so on point. And I, I love seeing it every single week. Like I'm looking right now prior to this game, he only caught three of six passes outside the numbers into the left four of set uh four of nine overall, but three of those four catches went for touchdowns. Uh, 20 plus yards down the field. And and it could have been better. Like Jalen Hurts, yes, his first rushing touchdown of three on the day was because near the end of the half, the Bears sent a cover zero blitz and two of their guys, because they just have a young defense uh, and they're playing nobodies. Two of their guys hit the same gap on that blitz. So it left a lane wide open for Jalen Hurts to run it 22 yards upfield for a touchdown. But the other two touchdowns rushing were because A.J. Brown got tackled on the one after a 27-yard catch and Miles Sanders got tackled on the one um, on a on a red zone carry. So that just led Jalen Hurts to falling forward for both of these rushing touchdowns. By the way, he's on... He's at 13 rushing touchdowns in the season now, which leaves him one shy of the most rushing scores in a season by a quarterback. Josh, do you know who Mm. scored 14 rushing touchdowns in a season? Cam Newton. It is none other than Cam Newton. One away. Here we go. Uh, Uh, Just quickly, Hayden, I didn't want to make that point just tailing in on the last one. The reason why A.J. Brown winning outside the numbers is so important here is because if the team is running so successfully in the Eagles with both Miles Sanders and Jalen Hurts, defenses have to adjust by rotating one of their safeties down. So you get cover one looks. And so having a wide receiver, well, two, let's put it that way, and both Devontae and A.J. Brown, again, to win in these hole shots is massive. And again, just to bring this up, in 20-plus yard catches, he scored four touchdowns on those this year. In his last three years combined, he scored four touchdowns on those. So it's, it's, again, progression. And it's so cool to see that utilization. 
Daigle, do you have a lean here? The Eagles have clinched the playoffs. They've clinched the division. They have a 99% chance of the first round by already. Do you think that they are going to rest players next week, the week after, uh, in week 18 only, and they're just going to run this thing out? Uh, do you think we're going to start pulling these players in the fourth quarter? What do you think they're going to do? The way it works is I believe they still need to beat the Cowboys next week to get the number one overall seed. That way you can lock up the home field advantage through the postseason. Thus, I believe they're going to play everyone next week. Um, and that's a terrific litmus test for both teams, even though the Eagles are far and away, even as a team who already beat the Cowboys earlier this year, the better team in that division. Um, quickly, though, I want to say just for the Bears, because there's really not much to say, they they kept alive in this game, not only because of Jalen Hurts' errors in the first half, because Justin Fields, like he extended so many plays. He had an amazing 39-yard run. You should go watch if you can catch that video on Twitter where he dodged and spun out of multiple tackles to get upfield. And immediately following that play, he also extended the next play for a nine-yard uh or to help out David Montgomery for a nine-yard touchdown. You're watching it right now on the screen, yeah. I mean, this is craziness, how he yeah. evades seven in the pocket. Then it's such a long, what, third down that he has to get two and 57 to miss, and he's still I think it was. I think it was second and second 27. And right. Second and right. 27, yeah. And then my, and then when the dot it goes out of screen here, actually, that's one foot. He stayed upright with 24 coming at him and dashed into the end zone. He just happened to step out of bounds accidentally, though. Um, and, and that's important because Justin Fields did join Michael Vick and Lamar Jackson as the only quarterbacks ever to rush for 1,000 yards in a single season since 1950 today. And that's crazy because for the first section of the season, the first, what, four or five games, they didn't use there him. were no design runs. Yep. There was no running him. It was only until they had the mini bye week. And Luke Getze was like, oh, maybe we should do some of this. So it was basically a condensed season for him running the football. We get 1,000 rushing yards. And he suffered an ankle injury in this game. Did end up coming back in to play in the fourth quarter. But I do wonder if it's enough to where maybe now that it's two injuries in the last three games, maybe if they just shut it down knowing they have a top pick and they don't need to see anymore. They have enough to know what to do in 2023 around him. One final note on the Eagles. It is hilarious to go from 181 receiving yards, A.J. Brown, 126 to Devontae Smith, and then a cliff to Kenneth Gainwell next at nine. Like that speaks to Dallas Goddard and his involvement in this offense. But it also speaks to how great those two are individual talents that you can't take either one away. I know it's the bears, but still like just that visual of seeing that is you go from single digits to triple digits for two players. And next week will be Dallas Goddard's. He would have missed five games. Um, he could, I bet if this was an important game, he would have played today, but they thought no big deal. Wait for the Cowboys. I guarantee you he's on the field next week. All right, let's hit the mushroom. Hayden, speed things up and go over to the Pittsburgh Steelers being the Carolina Panthers 24 to 16. Steelers are six and six now. And the Panthers, I don't, I guess their playoff hopes go away at five and nine, but who the hell knows in the NFC South with Tom Brady and the Bucks now six, just six and eight. Panthers 23% chance of winning the division, 73 for the Bucs. Uh, neither of them are going to really matter here. Uh, Sam Darnold looked okay. There's nothing too special here. DJ Moore made a great play uh, for a touchdown on the sideline uh, to get in there to save his box score. Uh, the ground game got shut down for the Panthers. Uh, Deonta Foreman only nine yards on 10 carries. Go, they did have, uh, they were trailing by seven going into halftime. So game script didn't go Deonta Foreman's way. Chuba Hubbard had a big play. 
uh, on an isolated route. But that's basically it for the, the Panthers side of things. The Steelers side, uh, Deontay Johnson finally caught all 10 of his targets for not uh, 56 yards like his yards per target would, uh, you would think, actually for 98 yards. Did not score a touchdown uh, once again. Uh, George Pickens made a, a great catch down the sideline at one point, but really this game was just so boring. I had to just turn it off in favor of some other things. Uh, Najee Harris scores a touchdown, uh, kind of stiff arms somebody in the red zone. Jalen Warren had a, a, a goal line touchdown as well. Uh, Mitch Trubisky looked okay. This this game didn't matter. Uh, the Panthers, 21 rushing yards that Hayden noted are their fewest in any game since 2012. So historic game for the playoff nearly bound Panthers here. Also, Deontay Johnson, those catches, he's now the NFL record holder for the most receptions by a wide receiver in a season without a touchdown, formerly held by Hall of Famer Raymond Barry. That tells you how Deontay Johnson's fantasy season is going. All right, go ahead. Well, well uh, one more thing. Uh, Pat Frymuth, 38 snaps on uh, 68 team snaps. He's been on the injury report, that foot injury. I do think it's mattered for him a little bit. Uh the, the best analogy of this game as well is that the Steelers came out. They opened the third quarter with a 21-play, 91-yard drive that lasted 11 minutes and 43 seconds. That tells you about this game and why you don't need to watch it. Next up, the New Orleans Saints beat the Atlanta Falcons in a toilet bowl, 21-18. to We'll get the, I guess, good stuff out of the way first. Um, Andy Dalton hit Rashid Shahid. That was last week for a touchdown. But instead, this week, Taysom Hill hit Rashid Shahid for a 68-yard bomb. It was a run look off play action. And Shahid just drives right through the middle of the field, almost untouched. I spent like five minutes afterwards thinking of a comparison for Shahid. And I think I wound up with Devery Henderson. Daigle, what do you think of that one? I think that's good. Uh, just all and, explosives and that's it. And and we, but we still wanted the usage. That's what we've been waiting for. And now, over the last two games, he's run a route in over ninety-five percent or ninety percent of dropbacks. He led the Saints in routes run today. So now you have this like explosive player who's actually got used more than Chris Olave. I think that's a pretty big deal. Andy Dalton to Jawan Johnson. Jawan Johnson had a huge day. Also another touchdown there. I believe he had two on the day. Um, so it was all Saints early on, and I think a big part of that was how Desmond Ritter looked. Since this is his first start, I know a lot of people will be curious about that. He was over four, and like three of his first four passes were about five yards away from any of the closest wide receivers out there. That's not a new um, problem. No, and look, he, it was deep play action and turning his head, and where he really got some flow was Drake London receptions over the middle of the field over and over and over again. The chart will show you that exactly, but. What stood out to me is the game just looked really fast for Desmond Ritter. And that's not a surprise. It's making his first start against the Saints defense. And actually, Teron Matthew probably had one of his better performances this year. But where it showed up was after you got off his primary, it looked like he didn't know exactly how to process the rest. And so he would hit his back foot and try to scramble and climb out through the middle of the pocket. And that was directly into the teeth of the Saints defense. So, so often those are either equaled sacks or little short gains and we're stopping on second and long and third and medium. And so they couldn't get anything going really in the passing game to the tune of, you know, just 97 total passing yards for Des Desmond Ritter off 13 completions. There is a comment in the chat noting that Alvin Kamara's usage is terrible. And I just want to say 
And four starts without Mark Ingram this year. Coming into this week, he had handled 85% of backfield touches compared to 71% and seven games alongside Ingram. In this game, 23 of 27 backfield touches with 100% of the team's running back targets. Two, so not much. So I understand he may be frustrated because the results weren't there. But then you look ahead and you see he plays this absolutely no good, miserable Browns defense next week. He is going to win you your fantasy playoff game if you are still in it after this performance, for sure. Sure. I mean, we kind of said that heading into this one, too. But Josh, real quick, Chris Olave. <laughs> doesn't count. 27 snaps on 55 dropbacks or 55 uh, snaps for the Saints. What the hell is going on? I've seen Chris or uh, uh, Chris Olave hasn't been a full-time player for the last couple of weeks. It's got to be formation based. I got, I'm going to go get an answer for everybody on stats versus. Yeah, film. I don't really love that. They they were putting Trevor Penning out there as like a, a sixth offensive lineman. There were multiple, multiple tight end sets again with Juwan Johnson, with Taysom Hill, with Adam Troutman out there too. Um, Olave was still making plays, albeit in limited snaps, as you said. I mean, the name that really popped up here was Tyler Algier on the opposite end. Like he got 17 carries. Cordero Patterson got 14. Algier got 139 yards in a score compared to CPAT's 52 yards in a touchdown. Uh, it was easily the best Tyler Algier we've seen this year. And you're not going to be able to see it here. But just on this outside play where the Falcons got to the line quickly, that is 56 DeMario Davis, one of the hardest hitting dudes in the league, meeting Tyler Algier at the first down marker. And Algier just absorbs him and keeps going. Keeps going for a 43-yard run. Um, that's good stuff. And I, I think when watching Tyler Algier, you think to yourself, okay, what is like the special skill that he has? Like, what's the one trait that does stand out? Because I don't think at BYU we really saw anything. Here, he's kind of just like a good at everything, average at everything, bad at nothing type guy. And this was the first thing today that I saw when forcing and breaking those missed tackles was big. And then finally, in games that Drake London has had eight plus targets, he's been really successful this year. 11 targets today, seven receptions, 70 yards. Yes, he had 70 of Desmond Ritter's 97 passing yards. And uh, hopefully we just get a little more of that in moving forward. He's he's totaled 46% of Atlanta's targets his last two games. Uh, wide receiver 22 before the bye, though. And this one, even with that usage, it's Desmond Ritter, I guess, who sinks him. So I, I, I wonder if we're getting in territory where like these targets, like with Kyle Pitts, just don't matter at all. I, I'm going to be throwing out, out all of his rookie stats going into next year. I do want to mention something. With, Unless with everything Desmond. stays the same. Right. It won't. Ryan Tannehill's coming to town. I, I, I did want to bring up one thing for Drake London. This game was, what, 21 to 18, something like that. And just over two minutes to go on a fourth and seven conversion, Desmond Ritter hits Drake London for a first down and he instantly fumbles it and gives it over to the saints. So they were driving and actually could have won this game, despite everything we just said about the Falcons, because their offensive line was bullying in the second half. And he's the one who gives it away in the end. I, I just want to say something about Desmond Ritter though. I haven't watched this game, but if you said that he was, if it was too fast, he was too slow processing thing. That's the problem here is that's what he was supposed to be good at. You know, his arm was, it was underwhelming. He's a good athlete, I would say, but he was below average, probably, uh, accurate, very below average for accuracy, probably average at best for arm strength. If he's not processing it, what exactly do you do here? I think that's something to keep in mind for the Falcons who are going to have to make a decision on the quarterback room uh, in a couple weeks. Yeah, that something to watch moving forward. I don't blame him for his first start, you know, doing that. And it is something to monitor for sure. And the biggest thing is like, if he can just sit there and go from like two to three, ensure the Falcons offensive line isn't the best in pass protection. But 
you'll see it when you rewatch it. It was just so many hit my back foot, got to climb. And he's not the athlete Marcus Mariota is. It's not like he's a bad athlete, but you know, four, six, four, seven hits very differently than what Marcus was putting out there at times is like a four, four player. It looked like so. All right. We have like 20 more minutes. Let's uh cycle through all these early week games as well. And we'll start with the uh, San Francisco 49ers being the Seattle Seahawks 21 to 13. Dagsy, Brock Purdy, two scores, 217 yards. And we get vintage Christian McCaffrey usage with 26 carries compared to the next closest running back at four carries and to go along with eight targets, six receptions and 30 yards. This is great stuff from CMC, the unquestioned 101 in drafts this year. Which has been the case the past two weeks now with a lot without Elijah Mitchell. Bench in the fourth quarter of a blowout two weeks ago against the Bucks, And then this game was the only running back to touch the ball in the first half. Odd that whenever push came to shove and they had to pick up a first down at the two-minute warning in the fourth quarter, they did have Jordan Mason in there, probably because he was the fresh legs and knowing the kind of runner he is, how he's super explosive, but you can't really use him. Like that was the time for him to kill the clock. And then, of course, that's the time he also ran for a 40-yard pickup in the first down to kill the game overall. So they will sprinkle him in, but it's not enough to even matter. And more importantly, it's not enough to be a detriment to Christian McCaffrey now, who is a, a very clear top two, top three running back now the rest of the season, especially since Elijah Mitchell is out. Also... Against the Bucs, it was concerning because Brandon Ayuk wasn't targeted until Debo Samuel went off the field. And now we see in this game that Brandon Ayuk, even though he ran around in 100% of dropbacks, he just doesn't matter. He doesn't matter to the game plan. And I'm curious to talk to y'all and what you have said and thought about Brock Purdy so far because I, I know it's easy to say it's all Kyle Shanahan since like even Nick Mullins looked amazing as a rookie under Kyle Shanahan. But dude, there's some throws as someone who makes fun of Brock Purdy because he was terrible in college and he was terrible in the preseason, there are some throws he makes that NFL quarterbacks, like you can pick 15 of them, don't make at all. Um, there's something here about him running the, the playbook, like keeping it that simple, but also like you, you hear his interview with Amazon and it's boring. And honestly, like quarterbacks are supposed to be boring. You're supposed to be the most bland person on the field. I think I kind of like, like Brock Purdy. I'm not going to lie. His decision making's been good. He's a good enough, good it's enough awesome. athlete. His decision making has been good. I don't think there's anything special with his arm talent at all. And I think that's that's why his size and his arm, that's why he went in the last pick of the draft. But I think that his decision making's been pretty good. And that's what Shanahan's been looking for. And he makes plays under duress. Like when you go back and watch him and watch Jimmy Garoppolo, and look, the Jimmy experience this year was a lot of fun. But there were times when if he didn't make that decision quickly, and pressure, and this has been the case for multiple years, was bearing down on him. He didn't have that same Brock Purdy-ness to make someone miss in the backfield a free rusher and then create after that. I think that like those are the little differences in each of the three quarterbacks that the 49ers had in their roster, where at least with Jimmy and him, and his arm is probably not even as good as Jimmy's for sure, but he has something. Like he, again, has that little skill to go along with the confidence when he does see it, he rips it, man. Like he rips it. And that's all it's, Kyle wants is someone who rips it and has the confidence it's, when someone is open to hit it. It's a little bit of poor man's Tony Romo, honestly, that he he does have a little gunslinger in him. Um, and the nuances you mentioned about being able to evade pressure and move the chains with his legs, that's enough for me to say he's an upgrade over Garoppolo because Garoppolo can't do that. 
If the pocket I, I, crashed, I'm not going to say he's an upgrade over Garoppolo. I can't that's fine. It's there. only two games. That's fine. I'm going to say that though, because when the pocket crashes into the Garoppolo, that play is dead. Correct. That play is not dead under Purdy, and I think that makes a huge difference. I think I think Purdy will throw some interceptions because of his arm strength. Like to me, like Tony Romo had a bazooka. I thought for like, somebody his size, I don't see that with Brock Purdy. I think that's the difference. I think Jimmy G's got a decent enough arm, but I agree. These Brock Purdy's a pretty solid. Solid. I mean, I think he's going to be a a backup level player that can win in this system. Now, to add on top of this, Dago, I think there is some nuance here where personally believe that Christian McCaffrey changes everything for this 49ers offense too. Like Jimmy not having Christian McCaffrey for his entire career, like Brock Purdy has so far, is such a difference maker. Like we talk about every single week how CMC open things up for George Kittle, who in this game goes four for 93 and this explosives over and over and over again. Like, look, you get CMC and Kyle Juszczyk on routes of the exact same side and look at all of the linebackers flow in their direction. Every single one, 26, 56, 51. And it leaves this wide open space for George Kittle to run into. You know, this is gravity. This is a tension that he draws, and it makes everything easier around him. On the other side of the ball now, I do want to say it does suck because clearly the magic and the bottom have fallen out of the Seahawks. We're not going to get them in the postseason, and I think the way Geno Smith played for the first half of the year, they deserve to be in the NFC postseason that's chocked full of teams that are just going to get knocked out of the first round because they don't ultimately matter. But at the same time, this team in the last five games is absolutely atrocious. Over five yards per carry now, uh, eight total touchdowns allowed to opposing running backs. They can't stop the run. They can't stop the pass. They are miserable. And if you look at Geno Smith's passing chart from this past week, I understand it was, it's against the best pass rush in the league, but they have zero answers, and more importantly now, zero Tyler Lockett the rest of the year, too. The Nick Bosa was giving these rookie Dude. tackles hell. And like Dude. I think that's, that's something that we like have kind of taken for, for granted. The Seahawks have been playing with rookies on the offensive line here. Obviously, one was a high pick. The other one wasn't. So it's not, not a surprise that under some pressure, uh, things went south. Yeah, DK Metcalf, I do think can be a league winner. If that Seahawks defense is really bad and there's no Tyler Lockett, these next couple of weeks for DK Metcalf could be pretty special. After coming up for them, it's the Chiefs, the Jets, and the Rams. Just wanted to say that. Just dead. After that game, I drunk texted Roto Pat, seeing if he had the created meme of Nick Bosa waving the Confederate flag around <laughs> in his phone. Because that's the only way you can praise Nick Bosa for how good he is. You have to have the the worst meme possible for it. Never forget. Um, this Fred Warner stuff in the middle of the field is, uh, I mean, he just takes it away, man. Just takes it away. Gino's interceptions and bad things are uh, hurting the Seahawks team more than they were earlier in the season. I think a part of it is you don't, don't get explosive runs anymore. You know, like you don't get those game-changing running plays like they did at times this season. All right. After this. Um, let's go to the Colts at the Vikings. The biggest comeback in Dude. NFL history. <laughs> what the hell? The biggest comeback in NFL history. Up 33 to nothing at halftime. 14 point third quarter, 22 point fourth quarter, three points in overtime. The Minnesota Vikings come back. I believe they go at some point. It was plus 15,000 for the Vikings to win. And uh, in the end, they do it. Kirk Cousins back to back 400 yard games. Four touchdowns, two interceptions. And KJ Osborne, out of nowhere, 16 targets, 10 receptions, 157 yards, and a score. I am so happy 
to see Jeff Saturday getting the comeuppance. And I, I know what's going to happen in the offseason, by the way. They're going to go through their theatrics of the Rooney rule and then still hire Jeff Saturday as a you head coach. You think so? Even after Absolutely. this? Absolutely. They, they, even if Hersey has to take a fine, there is no way they're taking any interview seriously. They are hiring Jeff Saturday. But, dude, the last two weeks, think about how bad you have to be to allow a 33-point fourth quarter, any quarter. Who cares if it's a sport? And then the literally the NFL's largest comeback in history. Uh, j- just to, to put this into a quick metric, even though you need so much more than that to describe this game overall, uh, the, the Colts had 15 red zone plays. They kicked three field goals, scored a touchdown. They weren't even trying to pretend like the Vikings could score at will, even though it's an explosive offense. Whereas the Vikings had two fewer red zone plays they scored four touchdowns, didn't kick any field goals. Like, that's the difference in coaching. That's understanding the situation. So the fact that Saturday only called red zone carries for Zach Moss, who every time he touches the ball, it's a win for the opposing defense. Like, you deserve to lose that game. It's their fault. It wasn't fluky at all. It is literally their fault for coaching themselves into a loss. That's why I tweeted out. I thought that the Viking, not like at, the latest part of the game, but I thought the Colts, the Colts were going to blow this thing because they have no talent out there. Seth Gilmore got to give him some, uh, some credit here. He was shutting down Justin Jefferson early on, but beyond that, there was nothing, especially once Jonathan Taylor was out there. This is a team that is going to play super conservative and that's how you lose games like this is just too conservative. I'm with Dago. I think that Jeff Saturday is going to come back. Uh, Jim Irsay seems very confident in him. I, I don't have any confidence in him. Uh, Matt Ryan, it's just done. This, this offense is it's Michael Pittman on a, a seven-yard A dot and see what he can do. And basically, that's it for the, the Colts side of the ball. And then, yeah, it was just a gutsy performance by the Vikings. I don't know what we can kind of take away from this, except that um, they're a good team, not not a great team. Um, but they can put numbers up on offense when they need it. And they often do need it because this Vikings defense has not been very it's good. So uh, too soft coverage, too just easy completions all day long. Um but they pulled it off. And I don't know if this is fair, but it is reasonable to question if Frank Reich would allow a 33-point fourth no. quarter and then a 36-point and 39-point second half plus overtime. And look, he's not the one who's the defensive coordinator, but at the end of the day, the coach gets praise or gets criticism for that. And when Frank Reich was fired, this team was 3-5-1. and one. Ever since then, they beat the Raiders in that fluky ass game. And they and, celebrated their ass off on that one. And everyone from the four letter network and Mr. YouTube, Pat McAfee and Jim Ursay all said, Oh, you couldn't believe that a guy could come off the street and be a head coach. This is why. This is why he can't be. You know, they're one and four with what we have seen against the Cowboys and the Vikings in the last two weeks. That's pitiful stuff. It's really pitiful stuff. It's well deserved, too. Good. Um, we're going to talk about another thing that happened on Saturday. That's continued to be well-deserved. Well, I guess the Browns won, but boy, they look like shit. Okay. Well, we'll just go there next with the Ravens and the Browns, the Browns winning 13 to three. There's really nothing of note to talk about on either side in terms of, you know, Donovan Peoples Jones getting a touchdown. Amari Cooper goes four of 58. Nick Chubb's struggle city in this running game compared to what he used to be. Because a lot of it, at least to my eyes, and we haven't gone back and charted this, seems to be out of shotgun in comparison to the under center stuff that we're doing with Jacoby Brissett and was working so well. So they've adapted their running game to what 
outside shotgun stuff, Deshaun Watson might do well, and it's making their best player suffer in Nick Chubb. And if this is the best that this team can show so far through, what, two, three weeks, not good. I don't, I don't, I don't think this offense can all of a sudden be good the rest of the season. So we're just praying for David Njoku and Amari Cooper to get us there uh, because that's kind of basically all they have. And on the flip side for the Ravens, uh, we need just need Lamar Jackson back. But really, there's not like that huge of a rush. They play the Falcons next week. I think that he has a chance to return that one. Um, but they already have 99% chance of making the playoffs. So they're just trying to get healthy. That's what the Ravens are. None of these games matter because they're going to be in the playoffs no matter what. They're just looking for some health, and um, maybe Mark Andrews can show up by the time they need them. It's, I think it relates for Nick Chubb back to Ethan Pochett being out for this offense uh, because that's what he's averaging now, 4.2 yards per carry over his last four games the month of the season he just hasn't he's only rushed for one touchdown at the time he hasn't been impactful at all i think that's who was really freeing him that's at least what the splits are showing mm, i i would slightly disagree with that because i don't think okay. it's the center blowing it every single time i do think mm -hmm. it's like the style of running that's different but i think both statements probably have some validity to them because again this is the third center that the or the fourth center that the browns are on versus like the other starters that have popped up too along the way and then this Deshaun Watson offense, 23 points now across three games on offense. Like it is, it's a mess. You have zero confidence playing anyone, even Amari Cooper outside of David Njoku. And that's not even for David Njoku. That's just for the landscape of his position. I just looked it up. Uh, Sports Info Solutions. I'm not sure if this includes this game. Uh, apparently Nick Chubb is averaging 6.5 yards per carry out of shotgun. So I, I don't what? know what's going on. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. They they were running with with poached on the field. They were running more out of eleven personnel. That's why. Yeah, I'm gonna watch this game. I'll come back on Tuesday. I feel like it's, it's in the last couple of weeks too. Um, okay. Yeah. Just quickly with J.K. Dobbins, I know a lot of us, you know, made statements about his gait and how it didn't look right. But we talked about this in Stats versus Film, Hayden, where the jump cuts did look good, and I thought the jump cuts again looked good against this Browns defense. And look, he's the long runs don't quite hit the same again. Again, yeah. totally fair, but I don't want that one statement to overshadow the positives of the other shorter runs that we're getting consistently because he has looked good on those. Yeah, he said he said after the game that he's just hoping to get his speed back, and that's something that he'll have to do over time. But like once again, J.K. Dobbins, this run game is always filthy. You know, like the holes are always there. It's very creative. They're not going to get stuck in the mud very often. So J.K. Dobbins is good enough right now. But some of these runs would be touchdowns the previous jk dobbins here so i'm hoping we get something back for that but um the fact that he's able to get 100 yards in both of these last games without the long speeds extremely impressive for for at least the offensive line it's just the same shit for this ravens offense that tyler huntley's carrying over from lamar jackson they couldn't get in the end zone with lamar jackson and it's just twofold with Huntley, who's a downgrade, clearly. Um, at some point, you have to point to Greg Roman and play calling here because the Ravens should not have lost this game. Over five yards per play, seven yards per carry. How do you run eight red zone plays and come away with zero points, even a field goal? There's no excuses for it. So at some point, like someone has to take the blame as a scapegoat here. Do, do we think they go into this offseason and like completely retool their wide receiver grouping too? Because there's nothing to. there. Oh, yeah. There's nothing there. They have to. I was going to ask you guys, like, I'm sure Odell Beckham wants a multi-year deal, or if we don't even know if he's healthy. But, I mean, if you're the Ravens, do you just get desperate to sign them for a, a playoff run? I mean, 
I don't see how they can win the Super Bowl with this wide receiver group. Are the Ravens even going to make the playoffs? Yeah, the Bengals took the lead today in the in the division. Uh, the, yeah, no, the 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 Ravens have ninety nine percent odds to make. They the okay. really yeah. do. They're they're nine and five. Dude, wild card weekend, like lots of apple picking. Plan some activities because the football's not going to be worth it. It's going to be bad. What's interesting is the loser of the division gets to play the Titans most likely or the Jaguars, and then the the winner of this division is going to have to play. Uh, place the or face the chargers so I, I feel like losing the division is actually not a bad thing i'd rather play the titans than the chargers that's true all right we'll close out saturday night with the i can't believe we had three saturday games dig when you told me last week we had saturday football i thought you meant we had one game and then i looked at it and it was three games three they were oh, good uh, what about what about 11 on christmas even three on christmas what does that do for you well and i'm driving 12 hours tomorrow that's gonna be fun all right buffalo bills 32 miami dolphins 29 so wasn't quite snow, but there were conditions. And in the end, a last second field goal by Matt Gay leads the Buffalo Bills to victory. A Josh Allen four touchdown performance in the air for 304 yards. And he has risen. Dawson Knox, six receptions, 98 yards and a score himself. This felt like very 2022-esque Josh Allen where so much was on his shoulders that it was a lot of extended plays, barreling runs. I still am a little nervous that they haven't found like the easy button stuff with him where he still has to be the leading rusher on this team as well. It's made me not nervous in terms of them obviously making the playoffs and winning this division, but in just terms of how we stack them with the rest of the AFC, because it feels like it's going to be a big time Josh on performance every single week. And that's what they have to have. It's also the fact that the dolphins now in two games this year have hung with them the entire time and every condition, both weather physically for cramping and dehydration, like literally every condition imaginable, the dolphins are just as good as the bills. And at least when they play each other and they've proved that with some more splash plays here in this game, it's also so funny to look at it and you see Josh Allen, 300 yards, four touchdowns, 35 points, an underdog. And you think, okay, he won battle Royals, but like he didn't even matter because you know, for the way you have to draft, you then stack Josh Allen and Stefan Diggs didn't do a damn thing. 60 receiving yards, Gabe Davis, 56 receiving yards. Like none of these players mattered. Uh, and obviously you can't victory lap just like you can't victory lap George Kittle against Seahawks. You can't victory lap Dawson Knox against the Dolphins. Everyone played them against those defenses because we know it's the Dolphins, Seahawks, and Cardinals that just lay waste to tight ends. So it's just it's just odd to look up and see it. I still have a lot of question marks about the Bills, both on offense and defense, if they're good enough now to, to drive through the AFC. But just a fun game overall, honestly. It's the same usage for both teams, so we didn't really learn anything. Um, James Cook, yet again, with single-digit touches, just doesn't matter for fantasy at all. You can't trust him. But yeah, just good to see a fun game between two Super Bowl contenders. The big thing is just all eyes on the wild card or uh, getting the buy. The Bills right now, 50% chance of getting that first round buy. Uh, it'll be them versus the Chiefs. And I think that will indicate who's going to have the highest Super Bowl odds. Obviously not playing the first round. So key. Uh, and they play the Bears next week at the Bengals. Week 17 is going to be a big like litmus test of like how this div- uh, the AFC w- uh, picture looks. And then close out with the Patriots at home so the bills they're not as good of an offense as they were last year that is for sure are they good enough on defense eventually when they get some pieces back and are they going to be able to fix uh the offensive line i don't think they're going to fix the offensive line 
So they just really need some clutch performances from Josh Allen. But when he's running and stuff, man, nothing's more fun than Josh Allen just trucking people. Yeah, do you, do you think I'm being unfair here where if Josh Allen has a bad performance, they can't overcome that in the playoffs? Like, they, they simply cannot. Because no, no, defensively, it felt like they had to go out and get Von Miller, and now they don't have him. Micah Hyde, do not have him either. And I don't want to, you know, crush Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott because they built a great roster. But just in the current state of where everything is, it's, hey, if Josh Allen doesn't hit at 90 plus percent for three quarters, you're not going to get a victory. And he's good enough to do that because so much of this pressure is on him. But that's a that's a tough line to walk when I think some of the other teams across the league right now, a lot of the Cincinnati Bengals today, five turnovers in the second half, like. I wouldn't expect the Bills to be able to come up with a performance like that, you know? So a quick fantasy note, uh Raheem Mostert just with Jeff Wilson out, uh 45 of uh 59 snaps. So if if we do get the same thing, Raheem Mostert, I think it's gonna be a pretty solid play. That's I also wanted thing. to bring up quickly, Daigle, because we talked about this last week. Like, what was the counter to what the Miami Dolphins had been stopped on the previous weeks? If you look at just his passing chart, you see less than nine yards. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Anyways, like 15 passing attempts. And we saw it in the phase of play at portions where Tua was getting to his check down more quickly. Didn't work. And as often, and obviously we got explosive plays, namely out of Jalen Waddle um, and Tyree Kill, but it seemed like it was more of a focus than it had been in the past in terms of hey, instead of manufacturing and trying to over the middle of the field and down the field, we understand that this area can be important to move the chains to and keep drives consistent. And the fact that Tyreek Hill had such a bad game in this one, like if these two teams play each other again in the postseason, I don't know how you don't think the Dolphins are the better team. Like the Dolphins can answer them, whatever Whoa. they do. And they all they also they also expose them saying, we can run against you. We can be more physical than you. That's the running so was important. That's so huge for the postseason. So like I, I just think they match up so well with the Bills. That's why the AFC, I always say, just just get the matchups ready because that literally just depends who's going to make the Super Bowl. And I know it was only 234 yards and two touchdowns. I mean, I think the burying of Tua was a bit premature. That's just me. I am glad we got a above average game. And it wasn't even a good, it wasn't even his best game, no. but it was above average. And whereas the last two matchups against the Chargers or 49ers were terrifying. So I'm glad we got it back. All right. I guess there's just one more game and we skipped it on Sunday. None of us watched it. Uh, oh God. Because it was Brett Rippon, Trace oh, McSorley and Colt McCoy combining for 62 passing attempts as the Denver Broncos won 24 to 15. There's not much to say here other than James Conner gets 16 carries. DeAndre Hopkins can only manage 60 yards and seven receptions. That limits Marquise Brown to four catches for 19 yards. And yeah, Latavius Murray in the end is the one who gets 24 carries for 130 yards and a touchdown. You can't play Marquise Brown next week if you manage to survive. Um, this is now two games since he's been back from injury. And I blame Colt McCoy. I blame... Uh, Trace McSorley, but nonetheless, you have to bench Marcus Brown, who had 19 yards today moving forward. Cole McCoy can touch a protocol if it's Trace McSorley. I don't think he's an NFL quarterback. So no. I'm shocked he's even on a roster. They said Russell Wilson will play next week, but again, you weren't starting anyone with Russell Wilson anyway. So if you're desperate, Judy and Dulcich, and that's literally it. And if week 15 even needed more of a bow, my guy, Divine Zigbo, gets two carries in an NFL game where his team wins. 
just amazing. All right. That was the worst victory you, lap of all of all time. You had you had to put on your detective gear to go find those two carries oh in the God. box score. I now know why you wore the you, jacket. You any words you say are going in one ear and out <laughs> the other when Zay Jones three touchdowns. Wow. Just the Millie Makers, Zay Jones. Imagine I had that. a I had him in Battle Royal. I did well today. Okay. I did not. That's those do Jaguars. Interesting for best ball mania three. Jets, a defensive matchup. They Jets stopped the Bills both times. Like it's another litmus test for the Jaguars. I'm excited. Thursday. All right. Dago, are you still doing waiver stuff for week 16? Through week 18, because oh my, my company hates me. Uh so yes, I will be doing in-depth waiver wire for this week for the postseason. It was in-depth last week. It'll be very in-depth again. I've already started on it because I, I got four games out of the way by Sunday morning. So yeah, wow. it'll all be there for everyone. Just a programming note. Since next Sunday night is obviously Christmas, oh, we yeah. are pushing the instant reaction show to Monday. That's what we are doing. Time to be determined, but do not expect it on Saturday. Do not expect it on Sunday. You will instead see it on Monday. So live. You, Join us live because we'll have a lot of new stuff since it'll be actually be after the games. Lots of notes. Correct. Correct. And thank you, Daigle. All right. Thanks, everyone. Support Dakes. Support us. Share the channel with friends because, you know, your fantasy season's over. Up the bell. Talk to you all soon. See ya.